Hello, everybody. We uh, it's it's currently February twenty eighth uh, of twenty twenty two, and uh, there's a lot going on. And um, you may have heard previously that uh, someone here is is an active part of an organization or various organizations, or you know, really, how do you define the borders of an organization? Uh, more on that the later. Bro- the Rhode Island Peace Community. Mm-hmm. I'm a peace activist. Yeah, uh, peace activist community. And uh, the, the, there's currently a surprising lack of peace uh, occurring um, in, in Eastern Europe. And uh, we're going to try to talk about it. Uh, so, hello, Tyler. Um, what's going on? Please tell us. Um, okay, I'll do my best. I <laughs> I know that's a loaded question. Yeah, so while I am definitely a peace activist, I'm not an expert in Ukraine. Um, basically, uh, so Ukraine f- for a long time has been... So Ukraine is a divided country uh, in a lot of ways. Um, Eastern Ukraine is... Let me back up. Russia recently has sent forces into Ukraine and is attacking a few different cities in, in Ukraine. Um, but there's sort of a lot behind the existing conflict, and there's been conflict going for a long time. Um, right now, in most of the media you're receiving, you're hearing about evil Putin um, invading and violating the sovereignty of Ukraine, and there's a lot of truth to that, certainly. Russia is definitely a violent imperial force, um, from my perspective, um, as is mo- many Western powers and the United States. And the United States, um, I would argue, has a large part to play and a large role in this conflict in bringing things to where they are now. There's a lot of debate within the peace activist community about the different roles of Russia and the U.S. and how much blame. Everyone agrees that there's a lot of blame to put on Russia's shoulders. They're the ones that are actually sending troops in. Um, but there's also a lot of us who think that the U.S. has a, a big role. And the size of that role people disagree on. I personally think the U.S. The way that I sort of view this is the U.S. and Russia have been playing chicken over Ukraine um, at the predictable expense of Ukrainian lives. I didn't think that Russia would um, invade in the way that it has, essentially. Um, I definitely was was wrong about my predictions about whether that would happen. Um, even so, I think that the U.S. is sort of um, has fueled the fire in, in large part and is almost as responsible as, as Russia for what's happening. Um, and I'm happy to talk more about uh, the background, I think it all sort of goes back to the 2014 so-called Revolution of Dignity and some trade deals that Russia and the West, sort of European, IMF, and the U.S. wanted to make with Ukraine. Um, and that all mixes in with very real differences in the Ukrainian population. The Eastern Ukrainians speak predominantly Russian and don't really have a lot of interest in joining NATO or the EU um, and tend to vote for particular people that are more Russia-friendly and Western Ukraine uh, speaks mostly Ukrainian and is a lot more interested in joining the EU and NATO. Um, 
Yeah, and yeah, that that revolution in or uh, what was what did you call it the of dignity? It's called the revolution of dignity. Uh, often, I personally, my own viewpoint on it is that it was a, a Western backed coup. Um, yeah. There yeah, was really. real civilian unrest there like legitimate civilian unrest there were protests that got violent and there was a violent crackdown of them but the west was very much involved in those protests um and the ensuing overthrow of the government that occurred right like um, up to and including you know um vocal support made in the streets of ukraine by prominent united states politicians um yes and uh mccain and chris murphy both attended uh, some some of the rallies in Ukraine s- in Ukraine oh, yeah. and spoke at wow. them, like urging them to turn away from Russian influence and turn towards the West. Um, there was a famous call with uh, Victoria Nuland. Um, this Cur- might be a current f- ambassador to Ukraine, correct, or to Russia. No, we don't. Have I don't to do know it. what her current what role is, is. I think she has. I know she has a role in the in the current administration. I think she was ambassador to Ukraine at the time. Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs is what she is now. Yeah, I think at the time of the call, she was ambassador to Ukraine. I think I could I could be misremembering, but there was sort of a famous or infamous phone call where her and another diplomat were talking about who they were going to install as prime minister. Um, and Biden in also on camera um, talked openly about withholding uh, loan guarantees uh, in order to get a prosecutor that wasn't friendly to the U.S. government uh, kicked, removed. Um, so they're right there. I mean, there's both a president and prime minister of, of Ukraine, but so one of the sort of public figureheads, the... United States was publicly talking about replacing and who they were going to replace it with, who they were going to replace them with, um, and also, you know, part of their um, judiciary in terms of replacing an unfriendly prosecutor. So, like, those are examples, I think, of some of the evidence. Those, I think, are two of the strongest examples we have of direct evidence of the U.S., plans to overthrow or change the Ukrainian government to become more West friendly. Yeah. So just a little bit on Victoria Newland. Um, she was the United States ambassador to NATO from 05 to 08 under George W. Bush. She was a spokesperson for the United States Department of State from 2011 to 2013, the assistant secretary of state for European and Eurasian affairs from 2013 to 2017 and is currently the Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs. Yeah, and at the time, there was a lot of outcry about the phone call. Um, But this, I think, also highlights a general problem with our political landscape, where that doesn't last. Like, there aren't real long-term consequences to being caught with your pants down in terms of violating international sovereignty um it it was rewarded um her set her place now under the biden administration has is a higher spot is sort of higher in the 
diplomatic hierarchy than her spot when when she was part of this call and it was it was leaked. So I think that is kind wow. of telling in and of itself. Yeah. Um. Just out of curiosity as well. Uh, does uh, what is the context of the um, the whole first Trump impeachment that whole Ukrainian situation? Does that have any context of what's going on today? Also, I mean, yes, certainly. So, I think the the first one was essentially over Trump threatening, if I recall correctly, was uh, threatening to. To withheld military aid, I believe. Exactly, mm-hmm. to Ukraine. Yeah. So following the 2014 events, um, the there have been uh, continuing, and, and Russia taking Crimea, there, the United States has been ramping up the sale of arms to Ukraine in response to Russia's aggression in, in Crimea. Yeah, so basically there was a, a coup in 2014. Um, that following... I remember. I remember the um, <clears throat> there was the crazy stuff about like the the, the previous um, was he a president? I don't know his official title, but the guy who was in charge, he had like a zoo or something in his backyard, something crazy like that. Or I don't he just had us. Yeah, he, 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 there was just like a lot of stuff, and I just remember. He had a mansion and people like one of the, a lot of the images of where like the people just getting to like go through his house and they were yeah. reclaiming back. Yeah. Protesters. Yeah, Ukraine was notoriously corrupt. Yeah. Walked unchallenged into the former president's office and residential compounds after police and security left their posts in Kiev. Protesters had, had free to Russia, access to government buildings and to presidential, the presidential mansion and estate. They were amazed at the opulence and extravagance of what they found, including a private zoo, a fleet of cars, and a large boat. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So the, the, coup so the happens... private zoo is real. Nice. Okay. <laughs> I guess so. that's a pretty, that's pretty wild. <laughs> right. Maybe I mean, it's also the... a window into the level of corruption. There. Sure. Yeah. But also like it's the presidential mansion and state. Like, is that, I, I don't know, obviously enough, but is that like a publicly, is that like the White House? Like, in that it. If the White House had a private zoo, I think Americans would be pissed. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure, sure. I'm not saying that they wouldn't, but I just mean to say, like, there, I think that there is a, a difference in, like, a large amount of opulence in uh, what is. Uh, a private residence for a political yeah. office, but ultimately sure. the White House some, is pretty opulent. Yeah, the White yeah, House is it's very a, opulent. As a, are you saying like his own house that he bought? Right, with the fund corrupted funds as opposed to like those are public different. housing. Give it to him. Those are know, different for his things. position. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, obviously, I don't know the. I guess uh, Oliver Poole wrote an article: Ukraine uprising, the private zoo. The galleon moored on a private lake and fleet of vintage cars. Uh, fleet of vintage cars. Sounds um, private, you know. And yeah. Anyways, I, I don't have. This is behind a paywall on the independent, so I, I don't know. It says so, Yanukovych's country estate, so it doesn't appear. It, it does appear to be private. Yeah, yeah, and it, there was a lot of yeah, notoriously corrupt. Uh, following the coup, a couple things happened. You, uh, Russia seized Crimea, where there was a 
military base and I think some some natural gas resources in shale form or something. I don't know the details about that. Um, and also a civil war broke out. Uh, that was long and still is going still pre the Russian invasion was still happening um, during that period I think somewhere around a million and a half people were internally displaced in the country Wow um, as a sense of the scale of the conflict uh, there was also something called the Minsk agreements that uh, a set of agreements that occurred between sort of all parties um, Russia and the US and Ukraine and and the sort of the independent region in the east as well this, this is the Donbass where earlier on in the most recent events um, Russia declared that those recognized those as independent states and then quickly entered into uh, sort of protectorate agreements with them and that was stage one of where we are now of what's happening now, which is seems seems to be a, a more widespread invasion of of Ukraine. Yeah, um, it's, it's certainly not a full scale invasion, but it's definitely. Uh, uh, well, I, mean, I don't know what is a full scale right, invasion. Exactly. People right. say different. People say all these different words, but there's tanks and there's yeah, there's there's tanks pouring over the border. I'd call it a full scale invasion. Full scale invasion is there's, fair, I think. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, it, I would. I I think it's. I think the only thing, if you wanted to. Um, try to be nuanced about the uh, the definition is are they trying to seize control of the entire country by taking over the capital and, and that's unclear and it does it yeah. kind of see from what i have gathered it seems like that's the the case and also uh from the words uh well certainly from this putin's words it sounds like you know attempting to decapitate the government like that's pretty that's pretty, yeah. pretty yeah. straightforward. That sounds like a full-scale invasion pretty, to me. I, I think, though, that the the hope... I don't... This is wildly speculative, but I suspect that the goal is to destabilize Ukraine for Russia and claim those eastern those eastern regions. Um, I sort of I sort of think... I, I, th- I think that basically... Russia was happy with it being a neutral buffer state, would prefer it to be closer to them, but basically decided that if it's going to lean west um, artificially, or I, I, I think it was artificially leaning west, and but whether it was artificial or not, I think Putin's basic decision was if it's going to lean west, I'm going to destroy it. So that what's leaning west is not dangerous yeah i mean i think i when you say destroy it like destabilize it in the same way that like invasion has destabilized uh libya as an example well i mean i i from what it like appears uh, again i'm not an expert but like there there does seem to have been a fairly successful campaign at to destroy military installments in Ukraine. So I think that that's my sense as well. Right. So like a lot of the shelling, a lot of the, you know, major force has been 
for the purpose of destroying the military capabilities, right? You know, it's not a total war, right? There's not, you know, there's not firebombing of the cities. There's certainly shelling in 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 some right. cities and I, I you know we're certainly in the fog of war to not really have a great sense i mean one i i don't have access to the, the any of the type of sort of structures that would give you solid information on what's right, right. falling and what's happening um two i don't I think there has been some relatively indiscriminate bombing but I also get the sense that the majority of it is directed at military installations. Yeah. And it, I mean, there, there, I'm sure there has been at least some, but it's, it's certainly, um, wow. I'm really, I'm blanking on the, the, it's certainly not Dresden, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. But it is a pretty serious invasion. And, and I, I definitely think that some maps might, be redrawn at the end of it uh though i don't i i still don't think that that the entirety of ukraine is is putin's target yeah i i, I don't know because i mean i yeah i don't know um but they're like just to step back to the the minsk agreements for a moment there were there were pledges in those agreements to that everyone agreed to yeah, yeah to give like uh, to make constitutional amendments to increase the autonomy of the Donbass. Yeah, and I think that this... Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. so there was an agreement that everyone agreed to. There was going to be some autonomy in these eastern states. Um, and the implementation of that faltered. Uh, and there was, as I understand it, a fair bit of pressure from Russia to to get those going, to get the implementation into effect. Um, but the U.S. never really pressured the West, U- the Western Ukraine, and had a huge amount of uh, financial and direct military assistance to Western Ukraine, unconditional in any respect on them like following the terms of the deal that everyone had agreed to. And this, in my opinion, really emboldened Western Ukraine to not implement the terms of the Minsk deal at all. My understanding is that essentially election, there was supposed to be some elections and the Eastern Ukrainian semi-autonomous states wanted to sort of run them themselves and Western Ukraine was like, no, no, we're going to run the elections for the whole country. Um, and potentially there could have been some agreement that was reached there. This was like a, I, I could I could be wrong about the details, but that's my understanding that there was um, sort of a disagreement that never was overcome about the practicalities of how it was going to be implemented. And I think that this really is one of the biggest failings of the U.S. and that it had all the power it needed. I mean, it was propping up the Western Ukrainian government financially and militarily. Um, It could have easily pressured them to go implement that deal, that agreement that everyone agreed to, Um, and they didn't. What interests would the U.S. have in not wanting to do that? War, maybe. I mean, the U.S. Uh, like defense company stocks have soared since this conflict started. I mean, I think there's. I was reading a piece in the Jacobian a little bit ago, uh, the headline of which was, uh, "With Putin's Ukraine incursion, hawks in Washington got exactly what they wanted." Um, so I think that there's some 
personally, I think I, and this again is why I, I keep pointing at the U S as being partially responsible. And I don't say that to take away responsibility from, from Russia. I just think that there was some goading. Like there was a, this game of chicken where, you know, of course, it was... in our political sphere and the military industrial complex is like, yeah, war in Ukraine. Sure. It, Cause it was like, it was a, almost like a win win for them. If, Exactly. Either way, yeah. they're selling arms to Ukraine. So, I, I think it's a win-win also in the sense that, like, either, it, like, the U.S. just continuously called Putin's bluff, um, and kept getting influence in Ukraine as a result, or Putin invaded, and then the U.S. gets to its economy gets to to, to have gain. Um, so I, I mean, I really, yeah. I sort of said it already, but I, I think that the general idea that this is Putin's war and Putin's war alone is is letting the U.S. off the hook, who really have been playing games, like political games, um, at the expense of Ukrainian lives. Yeah, and I think that, that that gets back to your point, you know, as we were discussing Victoria Newland, and the fact that, you know, she plays a role in this continues in that job um you know is is fired with the changing of the guard uh in 2017 and goes off to work at the this you know as the i think ceo um of the center for a new american security which is just another one of those ngos that um you, you do continuously produces uh white papers about how we need to spend more money on weapons um right that's just their, that's their job is just to continue to just just write absolute blather about why actually uh uh we've you know we've always been at war with eurasia um and then you know Biden wins and she's back in the halls of power because I mean she never left the halls of power like the those NGOs the, the these think these national security think tanks like it's just a landing place for the swapping of of people with different letters next to their names right like they exist just to basically continue to support the 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 lifestyle and networking abilities of uh, the, the folks who work in in d- the diplomatic positions b- between the two parties. There's and to keep these people comfortable until their names clean off. Not even no. It's until the, the their tribe is back in power. <laughs> like it's, exactly, right. yeah. Because it's not the names clean off. I like. Sorry, I I, I better jump back in because like I didn't. I I missed. I got distracted and missed the point that I was trying to make. Um, the the lack of continuity and context like every it's it feels like the way everything is discussed is contextless and divorced from anything that has happened in the past and that was why i brought back in victoria newland because like yeah all this happened but then like (laughs) down the memory hole like not to use too many references to 1984 like there's no there's no memory of any of these things happening or anything having ever happened unless it like fits a very neat narrative. 
I mean, it, it there there never is. The there's only time one t- there's we have memory every four years when we're trying to nominate a president. That's it, and then it's there for about a year and it disappears again, and maybe it comes back depending on who's running. Yeah, and it's, it's actually it's there for six months when you finally figure out who is the uh, primary nominee. Right, but there's no there's yeah then there's no consistency of that. It's like oh yeah, I remember like. I remember that this person was part of this and did this thing. And then you have like an emotional response and you hold on to that emotional response when you get into the ballot box, but you don't like, there's no actual sort of factual memory that's left. You just like things come up and you like have an emotional response. And like the way that emotional, the, the volleys of emotional responses that you have determines how you pull the lever and then down the then down we go. Here we're just, just bumbling along. Sadly, yeah, <laughs> yes. So, and I mean, and, and we've seen this time and time again too. I mean, was there? I, obviously, we were kids then. I wasn't really watching the news in two thousand two, but was there much context before the invasion of Iraq? Was there much context about you know Bin Laden? After uh, 9-11, I, I, I very yeah. much so doubt it. Right. Both Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden being people that were funded and supported exactly. by the U.S. government prior exactly. to them to, being To fight uh, who? Pariahs to fight who? Yes. A shout out to Mr. Buxton, who uh, did a... A true... <laughs> who, a true... Who taught us about that a true in his class. Yes, indeed. Um, but yeah, like, t- to fight the soviet union like this the same yeah the same right like over a land that uh we just left (laughs) not even six months ago maybe just hap just became six months ago actually yeah as no it's probably a little more well i know it was like supposed to be may 31st and then i think it pushed back and it got uh, it was in august it It was was in august it happened yeah yeah, I mean, there are these circles, um, these it's, depressing circles. And I, I'm not trying to get the, uh, you know, get a finger pointed at me for buzzword, but it's the, um, it's an example of the, uh, the practical, you know, quote unquote, deep state that exists where it's not hidden. It's not some bunch of people in robes in a secret room. It's just the revolving doors that exist in the various communities and institutions in the country. Yeah. Like, right. And they only the military industrial complex, you know, lobbying groups and all and such. Yeah. And they get so bound up in the, their conversations with one another, thinking that like they actually have any sort of real insight into what's happening. They, they just, they bamboo, they bamboozle themselves and continue along the path, either, either in actual ignorance or in will like willful ignorance, right? Like it's one or the other. There's no way there isn't ignorance involved. Like there isn't like either purposeful or like, you know, I actually just talked to myself in a circle by convincing myself that I'm an expert and that the people I'm talking to are experts and the echo chamber that we create in that space um, has any real legitimacy in what's happening. Um, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I often, I think this is kind of related. I I often say that either the 
U.S. foreign policy machine is completely inept or it doesn't give a shit about human lives. And I'm not sure which it is, but it's definitely one of them. And, and yeah. Oh, man, that's a tough question to answer. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't necessarily need, feel like I need to answer it. I just know that neither are really acceptable. I, I will say after the response to COVID these past couple of years, I'm going to probably lean on the side of inept. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to, in defense, um, <laughs> inept as compared to what? Because like, like as compared to the, like, by comparing there's the stated goals to the resultant effect. Right. Okay. So like in, we want to, so they help fail. the people of Libya by getting rid of Gaddafi and then completely destabilizing and destroying the country and reducing the quality of life by any meaningful, any, any metric that you could think of. Yeah. You know, declaring mission accomplished, uh, and then <laughs> not leaving Iraq for what another, dozen yeah. years 15 years and that's yeah 16 17 years <laughs> like yeah was it the, oh my god it see 2004 that that i believe that 2004 the, when, when did we and i you know i say with the green assault leave iraq yeah i mean obviously it all gets mixed up but uh yeah but i do see what you mean though because it is you know, you're almost giving them the benefit of the doubt of maybe this is the best they can do. Maybe this is them. Well, no, us. That That's where I would put in not the word them, but us. Oh, really? Yeah. Like humans, generally. We could do a lot. Oh. I, we could I, do much, much yeah. better. Yeah. See, that's the thing. It's like, I'm not saying we necessarily uh, can't, but I, <laughs> I am saying that I don't have the same amount of confidence that that you seem to have about our like our ability to do better. I fully believe that if it was a basic basic fundamental element of our culture to really care about the value of human life um no matter what form or shape or color it took that we would live in a completely different world and i think that's possible i mean it's difficult to imagine us getting there from here um it's really un-american of you but um (laughs) but yeah that's like if that was a basic part of our culture like if empathy in a basic form um was a part of our the fundamental part, a fundamental part of our culture, I think everything would be different, and that very few of these international conflicts would would roll out the way that they do. But then, if if I if I were forced to have empathy, how how could I find the emotional and mental space necessary to enjoy all the shit that I own? I think you still enjoy plenty of the shit that you own. <laughs> be able to enjoy less of it though because a lot of our i mean i think i mean but if i, I but if i can't we're pretty empathetic people but if we really were 
if it was a basic part of our culture, then we wouldn't have the things that we have in the way that we have them because a lot of them are, are built on exploitation. I think iPhones are a really good example, or smartphones in general. Um, see, okay, so my only pushback is that I think one of the fundamental flaws uh, of humanity is it never, it has a really hard time and, and uh, you know, I, I'm trying to choose my words carefully. It has a hard time of putting those kinds of people into actual positions of power that they can, you know, influence um, society. Yeah, because that makes sense. Because yeah. the people like, and that kind of gets to 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 the point is like, in order to have power, you have to feel comfortable with directing other people to do the shit work that you don't want to do. So the the people who want a more equitable and, and sort of more objective objectively that's a hard word to use here but fair sort of coexistence like they go out and don't exploit people and therefore they have a very small influence on the mass of people like the 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 large number of people cuz to to build any sort of to accumulate any sort of power or wealth you have to either through uh, strict segmentation of your psychology or vicious callousness you have to exploit other people i don't think that's true at all i i think it is i i to to some degree i mean i think that uh you know the, the what's required of i feel like there's just a lot of people who would be good in certain positions and they just don't want to do said job because they don't feel comfortable yeah cuz they'd much sure. rather just yeah. be like no they they i you know they don't you know what i mean Let's yeah, like they'd rather be like helping their the people that live around them and generally being like a wonderful people. And like, 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 like a quick example is like, you know, just talking, you know, from very personal stuff. I would love to make sweeping changes to all the people in my position for at my job. But I also, don't necessarily think that I want to be their should need sorry need to be their boss I like the idea of us having a more equal footing amongst ourselves as a department rather than necessarily having a department with one person who dictates the actions of everybody else because I feel like we don't need that kind of structure and we can still get the same amount of work done and if if any of Bla- uh, of Blake's employers are listening, this is not him endorsing unions. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already in a union. What? <laughs> I'm already in a union. Yeah. Nice. Well, again, 
<laughs> this is not like saying there should be more power <laughs> in the union. He needs his no, job. There probably should be. No, of course I think that. I'm just playing for effect. And also, too, and this is kind of getting to more of the humanitarian thing. Um, it almost seems like, you know, evolution has steps. You know, before you, you didn't just have a fish and then all of a sudden it had wings that could fly. First it got legs, then it could crawl around for a little bit and then eventually in but it still had to exist partially in water and then eventually it had legs and could also exist completely on land going by that sense of evolution um uh i've heard one of the theories about how humanity was able to progress was that there was a reduction in testosterone um and that test we were bimbofied yeah we were we um it allowed for less Chad bros to rule over everybody else who were just big, beefy, and dumb and weren't making the best decisions, but they were strong, so they were able to rule over everybody else. And then over time, these levels calmed down to a point where more um, democratic forms of, uh, of uh, democ- uh, democratic more ideas could be... Prevailed. Yeah, more level heads prevailed in the bands of human beings. Thank you. Uh, so that more stuff could get done and more advancements could be made in human society with having, you know, one idiot dictating what everyone else is going to do. It's what the plants crave. Yeah. And then and then maybe we're just like we've we per- like we've gone as far as we can with that level with this you know, new opening and this is as best we can do. Yeah. I mean, I think, I really don't think it is. I think we can do so much better. I really think that I think, I think we can, but I just don't know when or how. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's an aspect where we like in reality, we live, there is, we don't live in a linear progression of anything. Like, we're in a complex network of actions, reactions, experiences that lead to biases and thought patterns and the, 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 the sort of complex play of all of those things over time. There, there may be sort of general swings back and forth that occur and, uh, almost resonances i I always come back to the idea of resonance when i think about sort of chaotic systems uh evolving over time um and you know we swing and and maybe we have reached a, a point where we're swinging in a certain direction um but again it's also a chaotic system and you know depending on on which which uh, local linearization you look at, you might come to different conclusions. And I have just now uh, very, you know, in this long disc- uh, monologue, um, tied myself into a knot where I have nowhere to go. And I think there's a metaphor yeah, so let me, somewhere. Let me take you, let me take you <laughs> out of it. So I think, I, I don't think it's as chaotic of a system as, I don't think it's necessarily a chaotic system. I think there are probably some some steady states or some like attractor states 
um, some relatively stable uh, cultural states. Um, and I believe, uh, and I say believe because I don't necessarily have good thing. evidence for it. It's an intuition, uh, maybe faith-based, um, but I do... Intuitively, I do believe that there is a sort of steady state of humanity, um, but that th in that requires um, a culture that values um, stability and empathy. I mean, I think I think if the culture values stability on sort of a global scale, then that will create a sort of attractor state, generally speaking. Um, and that there can be a lot of there could be a lot of different sort of stable cultural states for uh, planetary, like a species, a, or set of species ecology. Um, in the absence of, I mean, there are going to be events that trigger change, like climate events or astronomical events. Um, but that a culture that valued stability and also empathy. Um, could really could be fairly stable um, and could be pretty incredible and very different uh, could have very different lives from the ones that we see now and very different interactions between groups of people on a planet yeah I think part I think of it's part entirely of possible I part of m me it wants to push back on the idea of like one culture being monolithic. And I, I know you, I'm not saying that you are implying that it is monolithic, uh, but you are talking about it as if it's one thing. And I, I want to push back and say that like, some of those sort of s cultural steady states, like I think exist in a sort of opposition or, disharmony with other cultural states like i think it, it, it's i think a lot of our culture is defined a lot of our in like our values are are often defined not in uh, absolute terms but in um differential terms meaning like where we we define a lot of uh, of of things in comparison to others and I think that that just makes the idea that there there's this this general steady state um, for me harder to to grasp. I mean, yeah, I guess so. But there are like basic cultural factors that I think are really common that we see all over the place, including in in Ukraine and Russia and the United States and China and like nationalism. Like, it's all over the world. It's this sort of basic cultural phenomenon that's super common. Um, right, and that's kind of that's my point. Is really that's kind like of strange. That nationalism is, like, the definition of an in-group as opposed to out-groups. It's a really specific. It's a border-based or region-based in-group, out-group oh. definition. And it, it's culturally... It's culturally fostered and it's culturally determined what that in-group is i mean i think the I, the fact that it's border sorry uh, uh like but the it's okay. the border-based part of it like i think that's just an accident of history and like if you look at exactly what's happening in ukraine right now like 
uh, I think Putin is making a pretty explicit argument that that border is arbitrary and that uh, he's reaching beyond it to 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 support a, a, a unified national identity. I mean, he's just saying that there's a different border that should be the border. It's still nationalism. And there, I don't know if I necessarily agree, agree with that. I don't think he's saying that borders are arbitrary. I think he's saying that, like, eastern Ukraine has always been part of Russia. You know, that's nationalism. I think that's, by extension, saying that the border is... Saying that that oh. specific border is not the right one. But yes, you know, he's not yeah. calling for borderless society. Right. Yeah, no, no, no. He's not. Yeah, I thought I thought we were just talking about the one specific on in Eastern Ukraine. Right, but I mean, yeah, but I I mean that like by extension, like I guess I was just trying to point out that like the border is like a following indicator of the identity, not a driving indicator of the identity. Mm. See, I think that in our existent, like, cultural place, sort of, um, globally, that it is, it's not entirely border-based, but there is a fair amount of border-based, and, like, um, a lot of, um, like, ethnic-based in, in nationalism and border-based nationalism. It's just... Oh yeah, there there's so many ways in which we in in any society you're you're divided and divided by languages, you know, phys- simple mm-hmm. physical borders as opposed to the political borders. Um and I also think too the I mean like the culture one too, it's uh kind of backtracking a little bit and from what you were saying about like faith in humanity i do i i definitely uh have don't have how do you say i'm trying to use a double negative here i have some faith in humanity to be able to uh to develop a society or a culture with empathy being one of the um, fundamental things that aspects of that culture um but I just feel like in this day and age, especially, there's too much noise, and it's really hard for people to focus on one thing, and it gets sketchy because when you're trying to, and I feel like the only way to get people to focus on one things are for through extreme measures that are usually right. frowned upon. You know, usually having some kind of authority that preaches in some fashion uh, these ideals and people mindlessly following them. Because they just get lost in their voice. To tie the sort of cultural stuff back into the politics, there's a... I always see it in kind of insidious places, but there's this idea of soft power. Soft power versus hard power. They make a part of power. Sorry. What's that? Nothing. Oh, no. take it. <laughs> uh, soft power well, being like. Wait, what'd you what'd you say, Jeff? I said they make a pill for that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, soft power being like more change in culture, um, but it's often in this weird context of like using propaganda to like get a 
set of people on your side. Um, like a sort of stoking of uh, Western Ukrainian nationalism um, could be could have potentially been like a, a soft power move by the West in contrast to hard power, which um, like the hard power approach that Russia is taking of invasion of like military action and um, that type of stuff. And it's just weird to me that like that soft power concept I only ever really see as being like a way when one country's talking about like how to manipulate another country <laughs> as opposed to like using that concept to be like, how could we make the world a better place? Like yeah. how could we change ourselves to be to be a better people? Like yeah. And I I think that plays into what Joe was saying too as well and um where the people who would want to use that in a good way feel uncomfortable in using that kind of power at all <laughs> yeah probably no true. i think like honestly like i think the people who want to use that power in a good way do and have really wonderful effects on the culture and people that they interact with it's just that without the it the the effects are much more localized because like you know there is and we see an experience at least i have a tremendous amount of empathy and goodwill and uh, uh, really the best of humanity like all the time and it's really easy to not see that to not recognize that and and understand it for what it is because the uh, the hard like the either insidious soft power or overt hard power feels more impactful right it's like the scary thing that gets our attention i think it is oh well i don't know i was about to say i think it is more impactful at least right now, um, just because I think we live in such a, a, a kind of fucked up landscape of like a, a, a media landscape that's really propagandized and sort of bought and sold by pharmaceutical, like different industries like the pharmaceutical industry and the military industrial complex. Um, I think that these things, I think that they're, and, and, like, how, like, phone games are often designed to keep you, like, coming back for more and, like, doing small purchases as opposed to being, like, that, a really that's good a quality big one. product. I would, like, I'm I'll, almost – oh, sorry. I'll let you no, no, go back. for it. I was going to say it's, like, when you were talking about the Sard versus Hoff – Sard – Sard. Soft versus hard power. Um, Please edit that, Joe. Uh <laughs> Sard versus uh, damn, why do I keep saying right. Sard? When you're talking the about the Sard power versus yes, we know Sard is our new shorthand <laughs> for soft and hard at the same time. We here, uh, no pamphlet, seek nothing but efficiency. Sard power it is. <laughs> now we can't. Yes. <laughs> God damn it! You trapped me. Uh, but essentially, what I was thinking is, is that kind of power and influence over, you know, human psychology is that its own version of power. Is that debatably hard power? 
the ability of these companies to, you know, essentially get you uh, dopamine hooked on whatever um, application you're using and addicted to at one time. It's and you and the ability for these uh, platforms and kinds of things to influence people. I mean, we've seen it happen multiple times firsthand to the point where its effects are almost, I don't know, they're, they're like another form of, I almost feel like they're another form of the weather, like in mm-hmm. the chaos that they bring into society. And I mean, like the yeah. big one, the the big example, and I, I know you guys don't really like talk about it too much is, oh boy. um, with COVID, it was it was a there was a flu vaccine shortage, like eight years ago, nine years ago, or so, maybe even more. I'm not really remembering well. People clamored for those things. Everyone was like, "Get me those vaccines!" I couldn't. Um, there were people were going crazy trying to get a flu vaccine, and now you have people all of those same people now, because of the influence they've seen from different platforms, they don't want anything to do with any kind of vaccine at all and we've seen that direct kind of influence and how it's influencing society because where would we be what where what would the response from a society been to a vaccine for covid a dozen years ago i don't know yeah i really you know i think it would have been a lot different yeah and but i also like in the same way to get back to the 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 point of contextlessness like i guess there's there's sort of the the silver lining of that like honestly i don't know if in 10 years any of this is going to have like i'm not gonna i'm not saying that there won't be like an an anti-vaccine movement for example in 10 years but I, i am not sure that there will be any sort of continuity between the emotional states that are driving that reaction right now and whatever emotional states are driving that landscape in 10 years. Mm. And all right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's like a double edged sword kind or a, you know, I guess silver, yeah. silver lining is the better word. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, there's no context, so we make bad decisions. But also, there's no context, so we can just forget about the bad decisions we're currently making. <laughs> well, let's hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. Uh, all right. I wanted to bring it back to the Sard power. Um, <laughs> uh, the like we talk about soft power, and like. Even when you were uh, using it uh, a few moments ago, Tyler, you were talking about the idea that, like, it's this insidious thing and, like, people are using it, like, for the overt purposes of of manipulating people to act against their interests. And at the the same time... We uh, talk about the yeah. Maybe you didn't mean it that explicitly, but yeah. Like, well, so and I would rather say like have people act like. I feel like a lot of the times it's used in ways where 
their these other people's interests aren't really part of the equation. Right. Like we want to change what they're doing according to our interests. Right. Um, and that's this kind of manipulation that um, that's the, that's what I was talking about that right. really kind of freaks me out. Yeah. And even that, like that gets like to 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 my point, even that sort of tinge on the words that you were just using. Because like just a bit ago, we were like talking about the belief that we could have a shared culture that is, is more generally beneficial. And I don't know how to differentiate exercising, you know, quote unquote, soft power, like the exercise of soft power in a way is almost inherent to the process of developing shared ideas and ideals and culture. And I don't know uh, from an objective standpoint how to uh, sort of lay down firm rules about what is an appropriate attempt to influence, adjust, proselytize, whatever language you want to use around it, to change the way that others view the world such that it is more compatible with your vision of the world. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is why I brought up the concept of soft power, um, because it is what, what I was talking about, right? Like changing... Hearts and minds. Um, Thoughts and, and prayers. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I, I almost made a Web3 no, joke no. earlier. Go on. <laughs> um, um, yeah. And, and, and I think the context, I would argue that the context is a little bit, is, is pretty different um, than the context that I, I typically see it being used, which is uh, like when one nation state is trying to manipulate the actions of people in another nation state um, or propagandize their own population. Um, but I think it's the same thing, which, yeah, I, I agree that it's, it's the same concept, like of that is, it's the same concept of change in culture. Um, and it's, the question is how, what are you, how are you trying to change culture and, and why and towards what? Um, and I think the difference is that usually when it's brought up, it's in, it's well, at least that I've seen it brought up. It's in the context of like, we want to change this culture so that we can have an ally in this region or, um, yeah, something, something along those lines. And like that type of, um, sort of for profit culture change, uh, or for gain, like personal gain culture change, uh, I think is really problematic and really scary. Um, in contrast, I think it's quite different to try to, to instigate some culture change um, to prevent un, unproductive suffering. I mean, there's nothing, I don't think anyone's learning any lessons or gaining anything at a global scale from constant war and like the violence that we're seeing all over the place and these constant like conflicts based on 
imaginary lines drawn on maps and like these kind of silly in out in group out group definitions that are being made i think i think that 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 trying to change culture to to make our lives as uh, humans in the earth ecology better is very different than trying to change culture uh, for profit. Yeah, and here's uh, bringing back the idea of uh, culture being a, a, a system of folks living in uh, a cooperative and, and competitive landscapes with one another. Like, let's just let, let, simplify things uh, way down to, uh, to basically meaninglessness. Um, you've got uh, culture A and you've got culture B, whatever that means. And it, there would be perfect harmony if everybody was culture A and perfect harmony if everybody was culture B. There's no, in all other ways, equivalent, right? Just in this hypothetical space. But both A and B exist. Uh, now what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that, like, this is something we were talking about before, right? It's their dynamic systems. Um, I'm sure you could, create some starting points where uh, it would be hard to find some point of I mean we already we know for a fact already just by seeing how things unfold have been unfolding in human history and are unfolding now that there are many cases in which there is not harmony between different cultural groups yeah. I think it's I think it's easy to find it. I think it's easy to create a, a set of different cultural belief systems where there's not going to be harmony between groups, but that doesn't mean that it's not possible with like some changes to each A in your case A and B. I think it's never going to be possible if if uh, a culture A and a culture B can't agree on the same fundamental ethics that they both should follow because that that I think is the biggest driving wedge is the mm -hmm. ethics of the other opposing culture. So we're talking about like different groups. How can they coexist? Is it possible for them to coexist? And this is definitely sort of a big part of the Ukrainian conflict. There is a really very real civil war aspect of this. Uh, the Ukrainians, um, maybe even more so in so in many respects than us in the U.S., are a very divided pop population um yeah i mean there was an active civil war for the what eight years preceding where we are oh, yeah. right now like a, totally like a like quite active that's civil never war. Ta talking about context and that's never talked about at all during this process it's kind of like the crimea nothing happened and then this invasion happened right it's like right, right. And it was, uh, I think, I may have mentioned earlier, I think 1.5 million people in that civil war conflict were internally displaced in Ukraine. Yes. Um, and they speak different languages. They tend to vote for different people. Um, 
Oh yeah, I mean, like we in the U.S. tend to vote for different people. It depend very in large part. It's very region dependent. Um, but but we speak the same language. Well, I mean, not really, but they're like regionally speaking. Um, and so there is, I mean, there's real, real questions, right? Like, is it, would it be possible for, to bring this sort of division question, like people, uh, like the sort of northerners or more like city folk in the U.S. have pretty different value systems really in some ways than um, like people out in more woodsy areas or the south. Um, but I still think it could be perfectly possible for there to be, to, to be a lot more harmony and a lot, like a lot more interpersonal harmony um, among those populations. Um, and I, I wonder about, I wonder often when I think about Ukraine, like how much of the conflict, of the, like how much of this conflict would be happening in the same way if it weren't for U.S. and Russian involvement, if the U.S. and the West wasn't like pressuring Western Ukraine and flooding it with weapons and sort of propping it up and in, in, in really had its hands in Western Ukraine, if, if Russia wasn't doing the same in Eastern Ukraine um, now and before it was the whole country. And like, if, if there weren't these external powers sort of playing tug of war over these people's lives, like I worry that that external force is, is increasing the size of this division between the peoples. But I, I don't know, really. And I wonder about that a lot, um, how much of this conflict is inflamed. I mean, certainly the destructive capability is inflamed, um, but how about the conflict itself? Like, yeah, yeah. So I, mean, I wonder a lot about that. Yeah, like if there weren't yeah. these sort of massive institutions that are external to this, you know, particular region of of the Earth's surface, saying you all exist under one uh, political rule. Right, like come over here. No, come over here. Right, like come over here. Yeah, no, come over here. But even just saying, like you all are Ukraine, right? Like, mm. you know, like the borders of Ukraine are not like the borders of no country are solely determined by that country. Like they're inherently determined by their border with another country and and what happens when the uh, at the context you have people who you know they when they were born they were they were not born to necessarily ukraine they were born to a whole different country that doesn't even exist anymore and that are not finding an identity in this existing area yeah very true I kind of am increasingly, as I get sort of increasingly chaotic and <laughs> anarchist in my ideas, I just feel like borders aren't really that necessary. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Before we get into that can of that. worms, <laughs> should we I find that uh, uh, there's uh, 
there's there's like a tension I feel between borders being uh, arbitrary and often leading to pretty uh, violent and uh, reprehensible allocations of resources with regard to which side of the border you are on. And uh, on one side, that is one side of the tension. The other side is um, the importance of clearly defining uh, regions of, of responsibility. I think that my final sentence, I think, is going to be is uh, social media came 20 years too early. And we weren't ready. All right. Uh, I, as my final statement, am going to say say what is one of the sort of slogans or statements that uh, me and a group of peace activists are going to have for a no war in Ukraine rally that is going to happen on March 6th. I'll say that in the particularly for the rare case, in the rare event that this happens um, that this episode is released before then. Um, all right. Uh, here in the 21st century, in the age of weapons of mass destruction, war has no place as a tool of foreign policy. <laughs>